From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Hello and welcome to a new episode of For What It's Worth. I'm your host, Rabina Ahmed Haq, here on For What It's Worth. We try to take the big news stories, the business stories of the week, and break them down into bite-sized pieces so that we can all get something out of it. And there has been a lot of news this week that really does affect our bottom line. This is news out of Ontario. And there is now a requirement, or at least a request for employers uh, to disclose salary ranges. And this would mean that when you apply for a job, at least in the province of Ontario, that employers would have to disclose how much they plan to pay for that. They also want to examine the use of non-disclosure agreements when it comes to certain cases like sexual harassment cases. So if you file a suit and then you have to file an NDA, if they come to some sort of agreement that you will not talk about that. They want to get rid of that practice as well. And this is really good news, especially for women uh, who more likely would bring a sexual harassment case against their employer. Um, It gives them the ability to talk about what happened to them. It also gives transparency to the kind of jobs that are being offered to women and men, because we know that the wage gap still exists. In Ontario, for example, women make 87 cents for every dollar earned by a man in the same job. Now, this doesn't mean that it is a perfect math. There are some cases where women may be making more. There may be some cases where women, men may be making less. But this is an average of what the same job, a woman doing that same job and a man doing that same job, what the comparison is and what they are making. So this, um, this, introdu- this legislation, which was introduced this week, if passed, would require employers to include those salary ranges. And I think this is great news. Um, it's always difficult to ask colleagues, you know, what are you making? How much should I ask for in this job? It's, it's an awkward conversation. So why should the onus be on the person applying for the job? And I really hope that other provinces follow suit and make this law that you have to post a salary range. It also stops people from applying for jobs that they don't want to do. Imagine applying for a job and then finding out it's, you know, the salary is 40000 less than what you had expected. You would have wasted all that time applying for the job, going through the interview process, going to the, you know, the meetings, sitting on those panels, because it can be a pretty arduous process. And then in the end, the salary they offer you is far less than what you had, uh, what you had expected. And on the other end, it can make people feel more ambitious, right? So if you see a job that you know you have the skills and now you know, you know what? I'm worth more. I can apply for this job and I can make this money and I don't need to go for the bottom range. I can go in the mid or even upper mid range and ask for that salary because sometimes we don't realize how uh, how much our skills are actually worth. So I applaud the Ontario government for bringing forth this uh, legislation that if passed would require employers to uh, publish salary ranges for jobs that they are offering um, in 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 uh, in their company in their businesses. Um, another uh, issue that's starting is many Canadians are turning away from going to restaurants. So Canadian restaurants are saying that they're struggling as they come out of the pandemic when we know they were uh, open and shut uh, more frequently than probably any other industry. Maybe schools were the only ones that were shut as much as restaurants, and they're saying now that 80% of Canadians say higher menu prices are influencing their dining out choices. I know, and I'm sure that you have also seen this, that that sizes, portion sizes have gotten a lot smaller. There's this um, pho place that we go to, you know, usually on the weekend with our kids. And I always order the same thing with double chicken. 
And this time it didn't feel like double chicken, I got to tell you. And they cut it up, which they normally don't do. So they pre-cut it to make it, I think, look like it was more, but it was definitely less. I actually had to order a soup after because I wasn't full from that one dish uh, because normally it's pretty filling. So this is you know, a concern as restaurants start to get back into our new normal. And they're saying that you know people are not coming back to restaurants in the same way. 51% of restaurants say they're operating at a loss. Only 12% of the those that were surveyed uh, say that they are at the level that they were before the pandemic. And so this is um, a, a report that was released by Dalhousie University, and it really just showed that Canadians are tightening their belts, they're not dining out, and they're really um, you know, cutting back on those extras because of the cost of living. But that same cost of living is affecting restaurants. So they're having to raise their prices, uh, make their portions smaller. And that, of course, is just uh, leading to more and more customers being discouraged to actually go out and have a meal at a restaurant, which we know then um, employs people in your economy, you know, gets uh, gets uh, tax dollars into uh, into government's pockets, which then helps services. So all of those good things that happen when we spend money, um, they're not happening because uh, people are feeling like uh, they can't afford to do so. And that is really affecting, you know, even us going into the holiday season. I'll talk about this at the end of the program. There's a new survey that shows Canadians are going to spend 11% less this year on the holidays. And why? Because of the cost of living, interest rates, inflation, everyone is feeling the pinch. And then we're also feeling this um, uh, this this doom feeling about 2024, where we're getting information now that the economy is going to slow down. We could see a mini recession is what they're calling it. And all of that is really scaring us into spending less. And so more people, and I think this is good because the holidays can be pretty excessive, are thinking of clever ways to cut back. So I'll, I'll talk about that at the end of the program, who did the survey, and maybe some tips of things I've done over the years to really save money. I, I spoke to a couple budgeting experts who gave me some tips on things that I had not thought about, ways that we can save money that I really had never thought about, that I thought were really clever, and they keep that holiday spirit alive. And we're also going to be speaking uh, to uh, an expert from the Financial Services Regulator Authority in the province of Ontario. Um, he's going to talk to us about a new survey that they did that shows where Canadians go to get their investment advice. So when we're, when we're opening up, you know, we're putting money into our RSP, our TFSA, our kids' RESP, into our personal savings we also have to invest that money, right? We have to buy a stock or a bond or a GIC. We have to do something with that money that then is going to see that money grow. If you just leave it in cash, you are in effect losing money because inflation will eat at that. And that $10,000 will not be worth the same 10000 in five years. You need to invest it to make it grow over time. But this new report shows that we are by and large going to one place for our advice and it may not be the best place. So we will have Stuart Wilkinson, he's the chief consumer officer, uh, to talk about their survey and where we should be going to get that advice, where we should be going to get that um, that that guidance that we need to actually get to a place where uh, we're going to be able to see our investments grow. We will be able to see, um, you know, reach that financial health that I also talk about, always talk about, you know, financial wellness to me is the number one goal of for what it's worth. And if you're not investing properly and getting the best advice, it's going to be really hard to reach that ultimate goal of financial wellness. When we come back, we have a special guest on the program today, someone I talk about all the time, but we never actually get him on the air, James Petrovic, our very own technical producer. Because you know what I'm finding? I'm finding the way that we uh, prepare for the holidays is really different 
from the oldies like me and the youngins like James. So I want to hear from him, you know, what young people are doing in this environment uh, to save money during the holidays, to really prepare their budget, and some clever ways that they're uh, they're making money that might actually be good for us older folks uh, who are really struggling to get all those things together uh, for the holiday season. So stay tuned. Really special guest coming up. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Well, now that Halloween is over, many of us are putting our sights to the holiday season, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, or you just get together with family. It's a really expensive time of year. We're all off, usually for a few days at least. Most of us who have kids will take the entire two weeks off so that we can be with our children at that time. And it's expensive. You're going to places, you're going out to restaurants, people are coming over, you're buying hostess gifts. And as a personal finance journalist, I always tell people the best thing you can do is plan early. I have started my holiday shopping pretty early this year. Some stuff I even bought back in back in April, believe it or not. It was more stocking stuffers. I try to leave the good stuff till the end because I really want to gauge what people want to buy. I've also really pared down on, ex- on the people that I buy for because there was a time where I was really stretching myself financially, trying to make you know, gifts for everybody happen. And I realized in the end, all they really want to do is get together. And this really speaks to uh, my friends who are my age. And really, you know, we can afford to buy ourselves things. It's more about the the joy of getting together, maybe a bottle of wine, maybe I'll make something. Um, I always have one holiday party every year where I invite all my girlfriends and they come over. And uh, that's always a really good time. And we bring, you know, pretty, pretty economical way to get together and not spend a lot of money. But I'm always interested in how young people are surviving during this time, because we know that the economy is, um, is hard right now, inflation, interest rates, cost of living, everything is pushing up um, our cost of living and making it more and more difficult. So how do young people buy gifts for their loved ones? Do they even buy? And especially when it comes to their family, their peers, I should say their peers, not their family, who are their own age, is there an obligation to buy your bestie a gift? I wanted to bring in our own a young James Petrovic, our technical producer. James, give me an idea. What is it like for you getting ready for the holidays? Do you do what I do? Make a list, go out there to the mall and start shopping? What's your process? Hey, Rubina, thanks for having me on the show. Well, I know for me, what I like to do is either just create something, you know, either make a drawing, crochet. I know last year I made my mom um, some nice homemade crochet gloves for the nice winter. And that's how I usually do it. Me and my friends would usually just meet up, make some gifts. We don't say that, oh, okay, I'm going to get you a gift and get you a gift. It's usually a surprise that we all know what's going to happen. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation, James, where someone's giving you a gift? This happened to me quite a few years ago where I didn't expect that they would give me something. And then next year I was thinking, do I need to give them a gift? Or do, do you feel that obligation? Because I feel like maybe as a woman, we have a different attitude towards that. But not that guys are not generous. But, you know, sometimes you may you have a different guilt, level of guilt that you feel, oh, my goodness, I didn't get that person a gift. Do you feel that? Like if someone gave you something, not, I'm not talking like a, you know, a two, three hundred dollar gift, something small. This person gave me a really nice box of chocolates. That's what she gave me. I didn't have anything for her. I didn't expect her to give me anything. But the next year I saw her, I had something for her because I felt like, ooh, I might, I should do something this year. How, how do you feel? Do you feel like obligated to give back when someone gives you something? I mean, honestly, it depends. When I usually do my friend holiday hangout, these are the people that I know that I want in my life, that I'm making time commitment to spend the holidays, even if it's not on the actual 25th or 24th. It's meant to celebrate us as a friend. So with that mindset already in check, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get you a gift. Again, whether it be handmade, crochet, or just something small like 
chocolates. Mm. You So you crochet. This is something that, that is new to me. I did not know this. this is this something that you do often? I mean, for me, uh, I go in a hobby binge where I spend months doing something that I'm like, ooh, let's see what I can do. Like I did embroidery, crochet, origami, painting, drawing, and some few other stuff. Not to flex, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. One of my uh, really good friend's dads, he crochets. And this guy, if you saw him, that's the last thing you would associate him <laughs> with is crocheting. He's this big, burly guy and really heavy English accent, you know, kind of guy who comes over and can like fix things with his hands, you know, he'll just sort of take things apart and put them together. But I think when I spoke to him, he said that's part of why he loves crocheting because it's with his hands and he's creating something. He's a really creative person. He's made blankets for all, both of my kids and my nephews, who's really one removed, if you think about it, it's my friend's dad, not my bro my brother's friend's dad. And they've got their names on it. So it's got, Aww. you know, my both my kids' names on the bottom. It's so sweet. I mean, obviously never going to give that away. Um, but it, And it's such good quality. I've washed it so many times. It looks great. So I applaud you, James, for doing that. I think that that's something that, especially if you personalize it, no one's ever going to get rid of that. Thank you. I know, like, that's the main reason why I love to get, like, homemade gifts. It just... Knowing, well, having the person know that I spent so much time planning it, getting the materials and just spending time on a gift that I made myself specifically for them, it just means the world to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think homemade gifts are the best. And um, I actually get, I don't, I don't know how you feel, I get really uncomfortable if someone gives me a gift that seems unreasonable. Uh, long time ago, a friend of mine dated uh, this woman who I think had sold a business or something. She, she had quite a bit of money. And she would buy us ridiculously expensive gifts, whether it was for our birthday or for Christmas, things that I could not afford. And it would make me really uncomfortable because we're not that close. You don't need to buy me anything, to be honest, because she's not my, one of my friends. And it would make me feel like, well, I can't, I can't give that back to you. Like I can't afford because I'm, I'm not going to spend that much money on my own family. Why would I, why would I be spending it on you? Do you, do you get uncomfortable when, when people go overboard, especially when it comes to the dollar figure on, on that gift? Honestly, it does. <laughs> but I feel like there's not really a way to say like, oh, thank you for this private jet. Like, oh my God, you don't have to travel. <laughs> you shouldn't have. <laughs> I feel like having a good expectation is just either talking to them one-on-one -on -one or just sitting down and be like, hey, I know you got me this beautiful diamond earring set and I love it so much. It looks so good to me. It was a very thoughtful gift. But this is too much for me like this is something i didn't expect and i know mm -hmm. that you care for me but just toning it down would mean the world to me and you can probably just explain like yeah i feel a lot of pressure or just talking it out yeah, I think the first gift, you almost feel like you have to accept it because the person went to the effort to get it. But really to set that boundary, that next time there is an occasion where you want to buy something, like it's not about how much you're spending. In fact, you don't have to spend anything and just, you know, just show up. That's all you have to do is just show up for me. And I think that will sort of set expectations that you're not going to reciprocate. Often people who have such deep pockets don't expect you to. They they have an understanding that they have more money. But I it just, I get uncomfortable with excess. I think that's just my mm -hmm. general feeling like whenever I go to like a, a buffet and I see people wasting food that bothers me when I go to you know when, when if there's freebies being given out and I see people like taking 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 and I'm like wow you know like you don't need that much whatever free things being given out at the Jays game like I've, I've noticed this this summer when they were giving out some free hat or something people were just you know taking three or four more than they oh needed to I just feel like just take one you only need one there's other people at this game too right 
Um, you were telling me about how young people sometimes can make money on the side by becoming influencers, something that I'm not really, to be honest, I don't really know much about and I don't even know how I'd make money doing that. But tell me a little bit about how there's some creative ways that young people are making money, whether it be now during the holidays or even even during the year. Well, for me, when I worked at my old job, I was talking to my coworker and he mentioned he used to do these side gigs where he'd be a brand ambassador. Like, you know, when you go to a convention of any kind and you see like randomly like a, the Pepsi stand with some people either talking to you like, hey, I can give you some coupons or hey, here's some real drinks. Those are basically brand ambassadors, one time gig. You show up, do what's needed, whether it be talking to people, setting things up or just making sure people go the right way for a convention or what have you. Those are some quick, easy things you can do. I know for me, I want to say three, four months ago, I was a brand ambassador. And it's, depending on the gig, it can be pretty good money, but the hours can be long. <laughs> so are we talking hundreds or thousands? Like, what are we talking about here? I mean, you don't need to tell us how much you got paid, <laughs> but can it be lucrative? Honestly, the main thing about the brand ambassador gigs, I personally use the app Karma. <laughs> you can uh, shout out Karma. You can pay me for a nice shout out. But uh, <laughs> usually it's $25 an hour. Sometimes it fluctuates, you know, 24, 23, 26. And that could be the good because, you know, there's for me, there was once like a 12 hour gig, which is a lot of money for $25 an hour. But sometimes mm -hmm. it can be just one hour. So it really depends on what gigs you get and what gigs they choose for you. How interesting. I didn't realize that you could go to an app and just sort of find out, you know, brand ambassador uh, opportunities. Because I think that for someone like me, I wouldn't even know, like, where do I even go to find out? I often see people, you know, making videos when they're on holiday and explaining, you know, what the experience is like. And I'm thinking, are they being paid for this? Are they putting it on a YouTube channel? Because a YouTube channel can make you money too. Or are they just doing it out of the goodness of their heart? Because they want people to know what this experience is like. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we went to this pumpkins after dark, uh, and I wasn't really sure what it was all about. Uh, to be honest, I wanted to know how to dress. Like, is it all outside? Is it inside? What's going on? So someone had made like a pretty full on video to the point where I'm like, do we even need to go? I just watched a nine minute video on this whole thing. So was that person paid by the company to actually, you know, have them go out there? Um, really interesting. Thanks, James. I think that it's time for us to all focus on the holidays. The, the faster you get yourself together, get your budget together, the more likely you are to stay on budget, have less stress and avoid that dreaded January financial credit card hangover. I will be talking later in the show about a new survey that shows we are spending less this holiday season, at least expecting to. So I'll break down the results of that and give some tips from my point of view of how, you know, mom of young kids can save money. Hopefully some of them are listening and they will be able to take something from it that will uh, help you save a little bit of money. Focus more on the togetherness rather than the spendiness. I've always been like that. Like I said, I don't really like excess. It makes me so uncomfortable and Christmas often can be all about excess. Coming up, where do Canadians turn to get their financial advice? And is it the best place for them to get investment information. We will talk to an expert about what they found in their survey and what they think we should be doing when it comes to money tips. I'm Ruby Ahmad Haq, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. 
The investment decisions we make today will have a huge effect on our future financial health. Bad advice can lead to financial stress, whereas good advice can make you feel more confident about your future. But where do Canadians turn to when they want to get money advice? A new survey by the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario says it's from the people who are closest to us, our family and friends. To find out more, we are joined by Stuart Wilkinson. He is Chief Consumer Officer at the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. Hi, Stuart. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you very much for having me, Rubina. So, Stuart, you know, I gave it away there. You know, what's a common place where we do go to get financial advice? I know when, especially when I was in my 20s, my dad was my go-to for everything money. You know, where should I invest? Should I pay down this debt or that debt? Um, tell me a little bit more about uh, where Canadians are going to get this advice and, and who who specifically they're really asking uh, for investment tips. Absolutely. Um, so we recently released the results of uh, a survey we did of about a thousand Ontarians. And um, what we heard is what you said, that um, the most common source of financial advice is word of mouth. And the second most common is actually the internet. Uh, and I think that's great. Um, your, your dad sounds like he gave you a lot of great advice. Um, and it's a perfectly legitimate um, source, right, to, to get advice from people closest to you that you trust. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, what we're saying is think about investing a little bit more time in understanding um, the sources that you're using and considering your options so that maybe you're getting uh, your advice all from word of mouth right now from your friends, from your family, um, and consider if that's right for your circumstances. Uh, and if you should take a look at other options like a financial advisor or financial advisor to help supplement um, what what you're getting right now. That's what we're Yeah, because I know from... In. Yeah, absolutely. I know from experience, like my dad, as an example, has given me advice, but then he's never followed up. Like he just sort of said something on a Sunday afternoon and then I went and, you know, executed that idea. And then he never followed up to say, hey, I've heard that this is happening and you should probably think about selling that investment. And, and, and then all of a sudden I look at my portfolio and he and he's like, oh, didn't you hear that this happened? And so then I stopped. I actually in one point stopped following his advice because I'm like, you're the worst financial advisor. You just tell me what to do, but then you never tell me, never follow up to give me an advice. Is there, you know, problems with taking advice from family and friends that, that that are just obvious that people should be aware of when they they do get a you know a, a stock tip at a party, for example? Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it has to start with un understanding the the context and that person at the party giving you the stock tip. Do they know your situation? Do they know your financial goals? Um, are they giving you advice? or just passing on information that they're aware of that's out there in the world. So I think that's a really important place to start. And then you can ask yourself um, if you're interested in getting um, some advice that's more tailored to your situation, uh, what works best for you? Do you want to talk to somebody that is educated across a whole whack of different um, financial advice topics, tax planning, estate planning, insurance products, wealth management, et cetera? Uh, or are you interested in a really specific area and you want to talk to somebody that um, is really expert in that area? 
And I don't think you can necessarily get that just through your network of friends and family. So it's a really good opportunity to, to take a beat and think about if there are other options out there that you should explore to arm yourself with the most information possible. I often call this the Kardashian effect, where people will say to me, I don't know anything about money or business. I don't know anything about the stock market. And I'll say, but how much do you know about the Kardashians? And they'll say, oh, I know this and this and this and this. I'm like, use that same skill to learn about your money because it's the same exact skill. I mean, you're absorbing the information, you're understanding the history of it. You know why a certain person acts this way. It's the same skill that you can then uh, use towards making better money decisions. Some of the respondents uh, uh, admitted to this. Can you talk to me a little bit about how uh, Ontarians know more about their their favorite shows than they do about their financial situation sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. I think we found it it about split down the middle uh, when we asked folks about uh, their favorite TV show versus the inner workings of their pension plan. Uh, half said they know more about the TV show. Half said they know more about their pension plan. Um, I'll put my hand up. I would be in that TV show category, I think. Uh, I mean, I, I, I love my pension plan, but um, I think I love watching my favorite TV show more. Um, so and that's fun to do. And I don't think we want to make people feel bad or like you can't you can't have fun or do things that uh, help you relax not at all people are feeling stressed out and juggling a lot of priorities day to day so i think that's reasonable but uh, you've got to think about the time that you're you're budgeting and the best time to get started at uh, kind of demystifying these topics is today so take 15 30 minutes visit the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario's website or some other website and start to feel a little bit more comfortable, um, just like you're comfortable. By, like for, for me, or maybe it's for, for some others, it's the Kardashians. For me, it might be uh, episodes of The Simpsons, uh, which I, I think I have way too much committed to memory, um, but uh, maybe trying to <laughs> replace some of those with uh, some financial information. Yeah, for some of us, some of us Gen Xers, it's like Seinfeld and Friends. We know way too much about that show and not <laughs> enough about the things that, you know, actually affect us, like our pension plan, like you mentioned, or our investments or, how, you know, what our mortgage, what kind of mortgage we're getting. These these are things that really impact our, our bottom line. Um, we're speaking to Stuart Wilkinson. He's Chief Consumer Officer at Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. They did a survey in honor of Financial Literacy Month, which is this month, November. Um, and you're saying setting out four steps that we should be taking before we make major financial decisions. First, tell me what are what's considered a major financial decision? Well, our, our organization is um, pretty interesting, and I'm not just saying that because I work here, but I we, we oversee a number of different financial services that are provided to consumers in Ontario. Pension plans, mortgage brokers, insurance companies, credit unions, and folks using the title financial planner or financial advisor. Those are some of the areas that uh, we provide oversight for. So when we're thinking about big financial decisions, uh, we're thinking along the lines of those particular sectors. And, and a mortgage broker helps you with the biggest financial decision you'll probably make in, in your life uh, if you're purchasing a home pension plan is there to support you during a really critical time in your life when you choose to retire and then draw down that um, pension that you earned over time. 
And then other things are there day to day, but are still really important. Uh, insurance provides you with peace of mind and coverage um, for the risks that you face day to day, or a credit union is there to provide you with day to day um, banking type services. So those are the big topics that, that are in mind for us. And when we're thinking about actionable steps that consumers can take in those different areas, uh, we're trying to help people get the right questions that they can ask the professional that they're working with or tips on how they can kind of break down that barrier that we were talking about and get a little bit more involved and empowered in their decision making. Yeah, I've been really advocating uh, using a financial planner when you buy your first home. Uh, it's a huge learning curve for anyone who's bought a home in, in Canada when you try to get all your finances together, all the paperwork together, and everybody who's usually involved with the process, the professionals, the real estate lawyer, the mortgage broker, the the, the real estate agent, they all have a vested interest in you buying this home. So bringing in a financial planner and from my point of view, can really help you understand what you're getting into financially and how you can set yourself up so that you don't get into a home that you can't afford for the long term. But the problem is, is that at that age, usually it's young Canadians who are doing this, they can feel really intimidated to reach out to a financial advisor and say, I've only got like 10% down and I'm buying this house. Um, you know, do you think this is a good decision for me? Uh, break down how someone can sort of break away from that feeling of intimidation and go see a financial advisor or planner, especially at that crucial time when they're making a big uh, money decision like buying a home. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a great idea. Uh, and our advice is to start with asking the right questions. So um, to maybe help folks feel like they're on um, not an even playing field with the, the person that they're going to see. I don't, I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it, but to make people feel like they're ready uh, when they walk in the door and they don't have to be as intimidated, arm yourself with some really basic questions like what credentials do you have and from what credentialing body, what financial services education background and level of experience do you have? What services do you provide? What products are you able to sell me? Those are some pretty fundamental questions. It might feel a little obvious, uh, honestly, but uh, sometimes reminding ourselves of the obvious and giving ourselves permission to ask the obvious questions can really help um, in those interactions. What if a person doesn't have a lot of money? You know, that intimidation factor where you just feel like I've only got a few thousand dollars to invest or I'm only buying this really modest first home. Like what, who am I to go to an advisor or a planner and ask for advice? Uh, how can you get them past that, that, that sort of just that insecurity of thinking that they're not good enough to, to seek professional advice for their money? Yeah, that's, uh, that's really, really hard. And it kind of hits me to my core when, when you say that as uh, the, the, Part of the consumer office at FISRA, our job is to amplify the voice of all consumers. And we really want to have safety, fairness, and choice for all Ontarians when it comes to the financial services that we regulate. So I'd encourage folks to think about those basic questions, um, regardless of where they're at in their life or with their investments or financial position. Um, and the the important thing to me is this doesn't all happen at once, right? Um, and the you have to take a step-by-step -step process to get comfortable. 
So the best time to start getting comfortable with your finances and talking to people and better understanding what's going on, best time to start is today. So I, I can't uh, say get over it because that's, <laughs> that's not um, being uh, properly empathetic with uh, what people are facing. And there are lots of things in my life that I, I find really difficult to go and talk about. Uh, but the more we can demystify or destigmatize talking about money um, so we can have some plain conversations about what's going on in our lives and uh, get a hold of things and try to reduce that stress level, uh, I think that's all for the better. Now, this survey that you did uh, looked at all sorts of things, uh, the cell phones that we buy, the auto insurance that we get, um, those people who may be getting into a private mortgage. Talk to me quickly about how some of these decisions that we're making can really impact our finances and, and how aware people are of the pros and cons of, of these financial decisions. Absolutely. You mentioned private mortgage and auto insurance, and those are two really interesting things that, that we call out in our plan to help uh, consumers improve their financial literacy. With private mortgages, our emphasis is on making sure that consumers have an exit strategy. Uh, private mortgages can be an option for some folks that are unable to qualify for a traditional mortgage, for example, but the terms are very different and private mortgages should be seen as a short-term stopgap, not the long-term permanent solution to your financing needs. So when you're entering into that type of decision, think about your exit strategy and how you're going to return back to the traditional mortgage market. On the auto insurance side, our, our message is hopefully really clear and simple. Shop around. Um, and again, it comes to investing a bit of time. Uh, but when your auto insurance policy comes up, um, take take a bit of time to shop around, see what kind of quotes are available to you from different insurers. Insurers are required to offer you the lowest quote they have available. Um, so take advantage of that and find the, the policy that best suits your, your needs. Stuart, thank you so much. I think this is really helpful. It helps people kind of get over that, you know, that feeling that they're not good enough to seek financial advice and really help people understand that no matter what your financial situation is, you can always benefit from asking a professional about how you can do better. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the opportunity, Rubina. Really appreciate it. That's Stuart Wilkinson. He's Chief Consumer Officer at the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. They put out a new survey in honor of Financial Literacy Month, which is this month, November, uh, to talk about how Canadians are getting information about their finances. And 40% of us are doing word of mouth. So what people tell us is what we are executing when it comes to our investments. And that may not be always the best way to manage your money. Coming up, Christmas is only six weeks away and many of us have already started getting into that holiday spirit. James and I had that conversation about the difference between, you know, the older Canadians and the younger Canadians, how we get ready for uh, Christmas. And this includes making a list, making a budget, figuring out how much we can spend. But there's a new survey out that says we're actually going to be spending 11% less this year. If you want to spend less this holiday season, I have my tips on how you can do just that. So stay tuned. I'm Rubina Ahmed. Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. I know I've been talking a lot about the holidays this episode, and you may be thinking, geez, Rabina. 
It's not even mid-November yet, and we're already getting so much pressure uh, to get ready for the holidays. But here's the thing that I tell everybody, is that Christmas is a really expensive time of year. As consumers, we spend more money at Christmas than we do any other time of year. And so it's really important to plan early. There are some things that we do, at, you know, people that we buy for every year, parties that we host every year. This is especially, you know, as you get older and have kids, you get into sort of traditional things that you're doing year over year. And if that is the case for you, why not plan and save some money? And this year, most Canadians are saying they do want to cut back on how much they spend during the holidays. Uh, Deloitte Canada's 2023 Holiday Retail Outlook says, that the the weight of the season, so all that strain that we're feeling from inflation, from cost of living, from interest rates, is really uh, putting a lot of pressure on us during the holidays. And we plan to spend 11% less this year compared to 2022 because we just don't have the money as we did maybe a couple of years ago. And even if we wanted to borrow, it's a lot more expensive to do that right now. Uh, they're saying that the average Canadian will spend just over $1,300 per family uh, getting ready for the holidays. But remember, that's the average. And that doesn't mean you have to spend that much. You can definitely do it for less. James and I talked about at the beginning of the program, our technical producer, about the difference between young people and older people. And I do feel that especially when you are in your 40s and 50s, that we have this pressure to make Christmas perfect, especially if you have young children. And that takes sometimes a lot of time, effort, and money. I think when you're younger, there's a different sort of a point of view. Everyone's sort of in a situation where they may not have a lot of cash and they're more than willing to do uh, Christmas on the cheap, which I think is great. So I think taking some inspiration from younger Canadians and as older Canadians saying, you know, we don't have to blow our budget and go into so much debt for the holidays. We can repeat a lot of the things that we did last year. We can do things for cheap. A really great idea. I spoke to a budgeting coach. She runs a website called uh, Budgets. Let me just get the right name. Uh, betterbudgets.ca. Her name's Carrie Hayes, and she is a self-proclaimed expert budgeter. And she says that one of the things that she does with her friends is she gets together and they have a secret Santa party, but instead of buying something new, they just bring something interesting to have in their home that they're not using anymore. So it could be that top you've only worn once or a kitchen gadget that you just simply can't get your uh, your head around, you don't know how it works. And they play a Secret Santa game. Everyone goes home with something fun and interesting and unique and you didn't spend any money. And often if you make it BYOB or potluck, that even puts less stress on the host of the party. I have always been really, I call it allergic to excess. So I try to always find these sort of ways that I can save money uh, when it comes to not just the holidays, any time of year, because spending too much never feels good. Going into debt for something that doesn't add value doesn't feel good. If you're going into debt because you need to buy a house or a car or go to school or maybe do a renovation or buy some new furniture, it's okay. You're using that and you're over time. If you have a plan, you're going to pay it off. But going into debt to buy presents for people that don't even really appreciate them, I don't think it's worth it. So start planning now. The sales are happening now from everything that I've experienced. The bigger sales happen because we have adopted now Black Friday in Canada. They happen before the Black Friday um, event or uh, racing up to that event. And so if you can get most of that shopping done uh, before beginning of December, you probably will save money and you'll also get better choice. You won't have uh, as much disappointment when you walk in, you know, December 20th and the thing that you wanted to buy is not available in your size, your color, or whatever it is that your kid wanted. So start doing that now. And uh, remember, 
your budget is your budget. Just because Deloitte says spend $1,300 doesn't mean you have to spend it. You spend whatever you feel comfortable spending and please avoid going into um, January with a bloated credit card bill. Thank you so much for everyone for listening today. I hope you got something out of it. Maybe you'll be encouraged to start to get out there and do some holiday shopping, get ready for the big uh, the big day and then save some money along the way as well. I, I would love to hear from you. You can always reach me on all the regular social channels and let me know what you're doing to save money this holiday season. Thanks to James Petrovic for his first, uh, his first appearance on For What It's Worth. He did a fantastic job. Thank you so much, James, uh, for doing that and uh, for, for making yourself uh, available to talk about your experiences and that app that he was talking about. Man, maybe I'll go on there and see, you know, maybe I can make some money this weekend being an influencer. Probably not because nobody wants to see what I like, but you know, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting new world, interesting new economy. I hope you'll join us next week here on For What It's Worth. We will be here with all the big personal finance and workplace stories. Same channel, same time. I'm Rubina Ahmed Hawk and this is For What It's Worth.